Hello, welcome to the ancient art of modern warfare. I'm Chris Mayer. With 10 episodes complete, I thought it was time to take a step back and see where the interests are among the listening audience and what questions they may have. So I took the opportunity this week to sit down with two very uh, well-known and very well-respected experts in the field of private military and security companies. This includes Dr. Deborah Avant of the Joseph Korbel School of International Studies, University of Denver. She's the author of the first scholarly work on PMSCs, The Market for Force, The Consequences of Privatizing Security, and she's also the director of the Private Security Monitor. We're also able to talk to Mr. Doug Brooks, who's the President Emeritus of the International Stability Operations Association, or ISOA. ISOA is the industry association that represents commercial entities involved in stability and security operations across the world. We were able to do this by taking advantage of a panel discussion that was hosted by the Commission for Security Cooperation in Europe on Capitol Hill on November 6th. This was called Putin's Shadow Warriors. The panel included Dr. Avant, myself, uh, Dr. Dara Masakat of Rand Corporation, and uh, Doug Brooks happened to be in the audience, and we were able to grab him then. I was able to talk with them and record their answers after the panel was over. Unfortunately, this happened in the cafeteria of the Rayburn Office Building, which is the office building of the House of Representatives on Capitol Hill. As a result, there are some background noises from the refrigerator units that were nearby to us where cold drinks and snacks were there. Please bear with that background noise because the answers they give to the questions I ask are very, very enlightening. Our first question is, if the United States is in a conflict with Syria and the United States is using Montreux compliant groups, if Syria wanted to hire its own private military companies, why would they try to get Montreux compliant groups? They are already on the wrong side of the war. Are we just making more rules that only the good guys follow? So, Dr. Avon, are we just making more rules that only the good guys are going to follow? Well, of course, nobody thinks they're the bad guys. <laughs> but um, I think one of the things that people forget is that part of the logic for creating these rules in the first place was not necessarily to be a good guy, but to be more effective. And these rules have actually allowed private military and security companies to interface more effectively with military forces. And those military forces also abide by a lot of international humanitarian law, not because someone is gonna put them in jail if they don't, but because that the forces are more effective if they do. Um, and so I think that by abiding by these rules, we will maximize our capacity to be more effective regardless of what anyone else does. Um, but my guess is that there are people in Syria paying attention to whether, and other places, paying attention to whether or not um, force is effective and that there might be movement toward um, more appropriate uses of private military and security companies, in part because they're more effective. Thank you. Doug? Clients benefit from rules and regulations um, for companies that hire private security companies. If everybody knows what the rules are, then the company knows what they're getting, and uh, or the client, I should say, uh, and knows that it's not going to be embarrassed by its uh, private security. 
So uh, for the insurance companies that are insuring the company, uh, there's a lot of potential damage that private security companies can cause if they're not properly run. Uh, the company gets a lot of protection, by the, the client gets a lot of protection by knowing what the rules are, by knowing their, their, their private security companies are following those rules. Uh, and uh, it's a way that they can compare private security companies by how they follow uh, have these rules. So yeah, I mean, the better companies are going to benefit from this. And, and if there's a sleazeball company under the radar and stuff, um, they're not going to be helpful to their client at all. And our second question is, how do militaries interact with foreign PMSCs during an armed conflict? Do civilians acting as PMSCs fall under the same laws of war as foreign militaries, or are there special rules? So there's a couple of different ways to think about it. Um, I, there absolutely are different kinds of responsibilities um, that people have by virtue of their status on the battlefield. But many of the efforts of the International Committee of the Red Cross and, um, and others have been to translate um, the rules surrounding uh, the laws of war into the into different statuses so that if you are on the battlefield and you are doing a certain type of thing, you nonetheless have, you have responsibilities regardless of what your status is. Um, and so I think the International Code of Conduct uh, for private security providers, for instance, translates international humanitarian law and human rights law into what private security providers ought to be doing. Um, that said, the actual laws to which people can be held accountable are quite different. If you're working in the military force, you can be held accountable um, through uh, military jurisdictions. Um, if you're working for the private for private security forces, your um, accountability depends on the particular um, uh, everything from where the company was. Um, uh, to the nationality of the employees, and so it can be quite complicated. Doug? Um, well, I think militaries don't always understand private security companies and their, and their limitations. Um, private companies, if they're operating legally, they're operating under local law as well as whatever the contracts that have been given to them. Uh, so they generally have a lot more restraints than the military do. The military can't really order them around unless they're some sort of uh, uh, martial law. Or like our private security companies, which are subject to court-martial. Which is crazy. I don't think you should be court-martialing civilians or any, you know, armed or unarmed. You're still a civilian and you have to operate under those laws. And if you violate those laws, then you're under civilian law and you should be penalized for that. Um, when you get into the private military companies, uh, a lot different. They operate uh, generally as a part uh, under the command structure of the, of the countries they operate under. I don't know about the Russian ones so much, but certainly the uh, South African ones operated under uh, under the command structure of the countries they, they, they fought for. Uh, but it's a lot different. Um, for private security companies, I think it's a much more clear uh, legally how they can and cannot operate. And, uh, and private security companies worth their salt, uh, make sure they follow those rules and laws. Okay, good. Thank you. And uh, again, apologize to anybody listening to this podcast that we're doing this in the cafeteria of the Rayburn uh, House Office Building, and uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of background noise here. Thank you. So there you have answers to two different questions that personally I'd feel very comfortable answering myself, but I would not have answered the questions that way. So you get a very different perspective on how other experts in the field can see the same things. My thanks again to Dr. Deborah Avant of the University of Denver 
and Mr. Doug Brooks of the International Stability Operations Association. Building on the interest generated by these questions, uh, future podcasts will focus on things like whether the law of war itself is still applicable in modern war, as well as other issues like honor and chivalry and how they still are important and still play a very, very critical role in the conduct of war today. It seems, however, that the concepts of mercenaries, private military and security companies, and particularly the rise of Russian quasi-mercenary groups in hybrid warfare seems to be the interest topic of the day, perhaps mixed with what China is doing on these kinds of things. So I suspect that in the midst of talking about things like law of war, honor, chivalry, and seemingly obsolete notions to come back to talk about private military companies and mercenaries. So come back for the next episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. And you can also look at my blog site, blog.ctmayor.net, which also has additional information, references, and other comments about subjects covered in these podcasts. <music>